All right, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, why did we read it twice? Why did we read it twice? Remember that God's people received the Ten Commandments for the first time in Exodus 20, just a few weeks after their escape from Egypt. That's the first place that they received the Ten Commandments at the foot of Mount Sinai a few weeks after the Exodus. But then that generation gets delayed in the wilderness and a a new generation grows up to adulthood. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, shortly before his death, Moses retells the covenant story which includes a reiteration of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter five. Moses wants the people to remember God's covenant commitment to them, how he's led them so far, and what flourishing will look like in their new community. As we've been saying throughout the series, the Ten Commandments are the framework for flourishing for the covenant people of God. But did you notice the difference, the main difference between these two passages? You probably noticed it as we read them back to back. In Exodus 20, The first time through, the Sabbath is connected to creation. It says, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. But then in Deuteronomy, the second time through, the commandment is connected to freedom from slavery. It says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And in fact, if you read the entirety of those two Ten Commandments passages in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, you'll find that this is the only substantial difference between those two readings. One version roots the Sabbath in creation, and the other one connects it to freedom from slavery. Now, why is that? Why the difference? I want to suggest to you that with this difference, God is intentionally highlighting a thread that runs through the whole Bible, a story about Sabbath. It's not a stretch to say that the Sabbath story encompasses history from Genesis to Revelation, including our lives today. And knowing that story can help us understand why this is such an important commandment to God and why it is so important for us to obey it. So the sermon this morning has two points, the story of the Sabbath and practicalities of Sabbath keeping. But there's an important connecting principle between those two. So the story of the Sabbath, connecting principle, practicalities of the Sabbath. You say that's three points, not two points. And I say, this is the way. (laughs) All right, the story of the Sabbath begins in Genesis chapter two, verse one, right at the beginning of the Bible, where it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, of course, we can and we should ask a lot of questions about Genesis 1 and 2. There are a lot of questions about the first few chapters of the Bible that we could ask. But as it pertains to our topic this morning, the main question is, why did God rest? Why does it say that God rested? Was he tired? Was he worn out from the hard work of making everything? No, the Bible actually says that it was quite easy for him. He did it in a few words. And that's not to say that creation was a small or a simple thing, but for all the beauty and intricacy and energy in our universe, making it didn't exhaust God in the slightest. So then why did he rest? 
with the other six days in Genesis chapter one, an ending to the day is always explicitly stated. And so it says something like there was evening and there was morning the first day, the second day, the third day, all the way through the sixth day, but the seventh day doesn't have that ending phrase which has led some theologians to conclude that whatever this rest means, it's a continuing condition. It is an open-ended invitation that still stands today. And we could misinterpret that to mean that God is something like the God of deism, where he made the universe, he kind of wound up the clock, and then he sat back to watch from a distance and see how things unfolded. But that's not true either. John 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My father has been working up until now, and I am also working. The real God is nothing like the one described by deism. He is actively involved in his creation. He is always working, always providing, always reigning. And so what does it mean that God rested on the seventh day? What it seems to mean is that at the end of creation, God set up what one rabbi called a sanctuary in time a day in a spiritual condition of rest where God abides in a special way. And he calls that day Sabbath. The, the word Sabbath just comes from the Hebrew Shabbat, which means to stop and to rest. And so Genesis 2-2 could be translated, on the seventh day, God finished his work and he Sabbathed. And he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God Sabbathed from his work. Now, there's the first chapter in the story, the beginning of the Sabbath, God himself resting on the seventh day. Now, what happens next is what we call the fall when sin enters the picture for the first time. And sin is anything that separates us from the rest of God that we were made for. Adam and Eve were made to have access to God's open Sabbath rest at all times, but sin came in and broke that and separated them from that rest. And so history progresses from there, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, until we get to Moses. And remember at the beginning of Exodus, Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. What do you think that their weekends were like during that time? <laughs> they were non-existent. It was ruthless, relentless work from dawn until dusk, seven days a week, no Sabbath to speak of. In other words, it was a little bit like being in mergers and acquisitions or investment banking in Charlotte, right? Except maybe even a little worse, right? And so when God brings them out of that body and soul-crushing slavery, one of the first things that he does is to reinstate the Sabbath, even before giving the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 16, when God provides the people with manna in the wilderness, the only stipulation is don't gather on the seventh day. Don't gather this on the seventh day. Exodus 16:23. the Lord commanded them, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Six days you shall gather manna, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath. So as soon as they're out of slavery, God reinstates the Sabbath, and then just a few chapters later, he formalizes the Sabbath in the fourth commandment. And if you look at Exodus 31, actually the very last thing that God says to Moses before he goes down from Mount Sinai is, above all else, I mean, think about that. He has just given the law to Moses to take down to the people. And the last thing he says is, above all else, remember to keep my Sabbaths. Do you think that this commandment is important? 
Right? It's arguably the first one in the Bible in Genesis 2. It's the first that the people receive coming out of Egypt. By word count, it's the longest of the Ten Commandments. And it's the last reminder that God gives Moses before he goes down from Mount Sinai. Do you think that this is important to God? He's got people, people journey on through the wilderness from there. And after Moses dies, Joshua leads them into their new home, the promised land. And all along the way, God has been saying to his people, I am taking you to a place where former slaves can finally rest, a land that you can call home. And there's this beautiful moment at the end of the book of Joshua when the people have finally arrived and settled down, and Joshua says to them, and now the Lord your God has given rest to all of your brothers and sisters just as he promised he would do. But then within a few chapters in the book of Judges, we find that that rest is still incomplete and often interrupted. Throughout the book of Judges, there's this refrain, the people had rest for a certain number of years, but then because of sin and surrounding enemies, they lost it. And really, that refrain continues through the rest of the Old Testament, periods of peace interrupted by increasingly longer periods of unrest and assault from without and sin bubbling up from within until they end up in exile. They lose the land they lose the Sabbath, they end up back in captivity, this time in Babylon. Now here's what's interesting about that, okay? In Jeremiah chapter 17, not long before Jerusalem is destroyed and God's people are taken away into captivity, God tells them, if you listen to me and bring no burden through the city gates on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by these same gates kings and princes who will sit on the throne of David, and this city shall be inhabited forever. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to work on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in these gates, and it shall destroy the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. When things were at their very worst in the history of Israel, God diagnoses the problem as a Sabbath issue. It's a big idea in this story. The Sabbath is designed by God to bring us back from self-destruction and to restore us to spiritual sanity. And when people neglect the fourth commandment, things descend further into chaos and catastrophe. Inversely, in Isaiah 58, when Isaiah is prophesying about the return from exile, God says to the people, if you will stop desecrating the Sabbath from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord and I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your fathers. Okay, so there's a lot there, right? There's more that we could dig into in that story. Okay, but here's the point. It is no exaggeration to say that the Old Testament, which is our spiritual origin story, is a story about Sabbath. A story about the rest that we were made for, about how we lost it and whether we might recover it again. And in fact, the Old Testament ends on a cliffhanger. It ends with a question. Will we ever find that true rest, God's deep, abiding, blessed Sabbath rest from Genesis 2 again? Can we recover it? 
again. And in this small town, Carpenter Rabbi comes along and he says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says that in Matthew 11. He says, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you worn out from carrying a heavy load? Come to me and I will give you rest. And then in the very next paragraph, Matthew 12, verse 8, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Again, we see that there are multiple senses in which Jesus fulfills these Ten Commandments. He obeyed the Fourth Commandment perfectly, and if you put your faith in him, you receive his Sabbath-keeping as a gift counted to you. Through faith in Jesus, we're credited with perfect Sabbath obedience. But also Jesus says, Jesus has the audacity to say, the Sabbath is about me. It was always about me. I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath story. I am the maker and the master of the Sabbath. And if you want to learn the way of true rest, if you want to walk peacefully, non-anxiously, gently, restoratively through this violent world, come to me and learn how. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us back to the Genesis 2 rest of God through himself by a work of recreation. And Jesus frees us from slavery to this busy, anxious, soul-crushing world through himself by a new and better exodus. Now, how did he do that? How does Jesus give us rest? Well, we could say, one way that we could say it is that he moves the Sabbath from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. Jesus moves the Sabbath from the last day to the first day. Old Testament people Sabbath on the seventh day on Saturday, and we Sabbath on the first day, Sunday, the Lord's day, because Jesus has reordered how we receive rest. On a Friday afternoon, just as the old Sabbath was beginning, Jesus died on the cross with all of our restless sin upon his shoulders. But on that first Sunday morning, the new Sabbath, he rose from the dead to prove that he had eternally secured our rest and relationship with God. Symbolically, we could say that in the Old Testament, the pattern was work hard for six days so that you might have rest on the seventh. But in the New Testament, in Christ, the pattern is begin with rest, receive Sabbath rest as a gift from God, and let the rest of your week flow out from there. Let your work flow out from rest. On Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection and that access to God's rest that Jesus has accomplished for us. The point of the Sabbath story, okay, hear this. The point of the Sabbath story in the Bible is that true rest, the rest that you were made for, the rest that your heart deeply longs for, isn't a day, a place, a principle, or a practice. It is a person. It's Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the maker and the master of true rest. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, here's the connecting principle, okay? 
This is the main idea to keep in mind as we transition from the Sabbath story to Sabbath practicalities. Okay? According to Christianity, true rest isn't a principle or a practice, it's a person, but God does give us principles and practices to cultivate deeper relationship with him. Okay, let me say that again. True rest isn't a day or a place or a principle or a practice. It is a person, Jesus. But that doesn't exclude the proper use of principles and practices to grow in relationship with him. We said this at the very beginning of our Ten Commandments series. With God, relationship always precedes rules. But God loves us enough to give us specific, concrete guidelines to better cultivate relationship with him and with other people. And the fourth commandment is one such guideline. It is one such rule. Genesis 2, God tells us that he is rest. Matthew 11 and 12, Jesus says that he is our rest. Peace is a person. Rest is found through relationship with him and the principle that God gives us to keep that or to help that relationship flourish is remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy, make it special, make it honored. Observing and honoring the Sabbath is the rule that God gives us to cultivate restful relationship with him and with other people. So as you consider Sabbath practicalities in your own life, the balance that we want to try to maintain is that the Sabbath is both a wonderful gift from God and a serious command of God. It is a gift and a command, a gracious gift, a serious command, and we need it to be both. We need it to be both. Think about the delightful, delicious gift that the Sabbath is. Think about the fact that God, the creator king of the universe, who could have demanded relentless work from us at all times and been well within his rights, Instead would say, from the very beginning of human existence, I want you to have a full day every week to just stop and rest and rejoice. I want you to have a recurring day when you hand everything over to me and just be. To just exist before and apart from anything that you do and to know that that's enough. A day to remember that you are not merely the sum of your accomplishments and your acquisitions, but that who you are is inherently worthy of rest and blessing. What a gift that is, right? Listen to what the spiritual director, Ruth Haley Barton, wrote when she finally saw the Sabbath for the gift that it was. She said, something about the beauty, the kindness, the concreteness of it all pierced my self-sufficiency and melted the hardness of my activism. All I wanted to do was fall down and worship a God who would think to give us such a gift. All I could do was weep at the beauty of these truths, weep because so few of us, and least of all I, are courageous enough to live in this beautiful way. What an amazing thing it would be to have the rhythms of your life regularly usher you into such deep trust that you could actually rest from it all. Who would we be, who would I be, if I trusted like this for 24 hours once a week? The Sabbath is an amazing gift from God, and it is also a serious command. It is one of the Ten Commandments, right? 
There is a defined right way that we are supposed to live on the Sabbath. There are things that we are supposed to do and not do. The pastor Eugene Peterson wrote, the reason the Sabbath is commanded and not suggested is because nothing less than a command has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness, the only part of which we are conscious being our good intentions. Today, as you go out and take this fourth commandment with you, try to strike this balance. The Sabbath is a wonderful gift from God to be received with gratitude and joy, and it is a serious, countercultural, counterintuitive command of God that should challenge us and maybe even make us uncomfortable when we try to practice it. Now, we shouldn't broadly prescribe a bunch of specific rules for the Sabbath. That's what the Pharisees did, and that was arguably Jesus and the Pharisees' number one point of conflict. The The Sabbath is not meant to be a meticulous list of do's and don'ts, but you should do something differently. If your Sunday doesn't look meaningfully different from your Monday through Saturday, God is inviting you and indeed commanding you to do something differently. Now, initially, as I worked on the application, at the end of this sermon, I had a bunch of ideas, and it got really long and complicated, and I thought to myself, this sermon is not very restful. (laughs) And so instead, what I did is I included some recommended resources in the bulletin. If you want to think more deeply about Sabbath practices in your own life, I can highly recommend every one of those that's in there in the bulletin. But through history, just to give you something to take with you, through history, followers of the restful way of Jesus have used four words as helpful jumping off points for practical Sabbath. And those four words are stop, worship, delight, and rest. Take one of those with you today and practice it and try to iterate on it. Stop, worship, delight, and rest. There are things that you are really meant to stop doing on the Sabbath day. And it's been too long since these words have been uttered in this sanctuary, but that means proper preparation prevents poor performance. A great question to ask is, what could I be doing on Saturday so that I can really stop tomorrow on the Lord's day and rest? And that's gonna look different for everybody in this room depending on where you are in life, what stage of your career that you're in, how old your children are. You might have to get creative and dare I say even a little subversive to stop for some period of time each week. Okay, so I leave the creativity up to you and use those resources to figure out what it looked like for you, for you to, what it might look like for you to stop a little differently this Sabbath and in the coming Sabbath days. Second, worship, okay? If there is one thing that we can say definitively Christians are supposed to be doing on the Sabbath day, it is gathering together as the body of Christ in the local church to worship God. And I'm saying, you're all here, so check, right? You did that. <laughs> Here's the thing. Again, preparing our hearts to come into this place and really worship is important. But if you find that your job, that your tea times, that your kids' sports teams are causing you to miss Sunday worship at church with your brothers and sisters in Christ more often than not, God is commanding you and calling you to do something differently. Third, delight. God wants you to really delight, to experience true joy and delight on the Sabbath day. And we all know the difference between the sort of pleasure that we feel when we binge Netflix versus when we read a good book. 
or when we doom scroll Instagram or threads, I guess now, um, and, and instead of taking up a rewarding and meaningful hobby, right? Or when we check emails instead of going on a long, slow walk in the woods with our family. The Sabbath day is a day for cultivating deep, valuable delight. And God delights in you delighting in things other than him on the Sabbath day if they're good gifts from him. Lastly, rest. On the Sabbath day, you can just rest. No strings attached. You are not the sum of your accomplishments, of the things that you accumulate. You don't have to experience any guilt to do something else. You can just rest. Handing over your to-do list, your worldly concerns, maybe taking a nap, maybe going to bed early. Like I said, it's probably a little bit different for everyone in this room. You may have to get creative. It may take a few weeks or a few months or a few years or the rest of your life to develop better Sabbath practices, but I really think that the promise of the fourth commandment, the promise of the story of Sabbath, is that when we receive it as both a gift and a command from God, he uses it to change our hearts, to change our community, and to change the world. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Let's pray. I'm going to use a prayer, a Sabbath prayer, from the pastor Pete Grieg that I think is just a wonderful prayer for Sabbath, and you can find it on the front of your bulletin if you want to take it home with you. Let me pray this for us. Father, may this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know the grace to embrace my infinite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his Holy Spirit lead me into the week and into the life to come. Amen.